Luke 6:37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. <clears throat> when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Okay, uh, let us um, come before the Lord once again briefly in prayer and we'll think about this passage. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this word that you've given us and that it's a light for us to live by. And we pray that you'd help us to concentrate now, think carefully about these things so that we can remember them and hopefully carry uh, some of these thoughts into the week ahead. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, throughout Luke's Gospel, we've seen uh, all kinds of people from different backgrounds coming to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And when we talk about this word faith, we're talking about trust. They're trusting Jesus to heal them, forgive them, work miracles and to teach them. And even today, people come to Jesus, don't they? People come to a living trust in Jesus. They come to what's called faith in Christ. And even uh, what we see in the media and in society generally is a description of, of people like Christians who get called people of faith. People of faith. Now, I must admit, when I hear that expression, uh, I sometimes think, what do, what do they mean by that? Do they mean that we've somehow thrown away our rationality and that we're, we're taking a leap in the dark? Are they saying that Christians are, 
Oh, they're just people of faith. They're, they're like those who are a bit away with the fairies. They're not very rational. Are they those people who are just uh, a bit too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use? But is that, is that actually true? Is that what it means to be a person of faith? Does faith in, lead it, in Jesus lead people to being with their head in the clouds? with no sense of now of how to live. Well, from this passage today that we've looked at, uh, we see that faith in Jesus is altogether practical. In fact, uh, far from being away with the fairies, Christians can live very grounded lives that express God's good values in a multitude of ways. And so as we come to Jesus, we see that he, he calls us to an active faith, that results uh, in some lives which are quite different from the world, changed lives which bring glory to God. That's what we see in the calling of Jesus, is to an active faith, a living faith. And let's turn now and think about some of the ways or some of the kinds of lives that this active faith ought to lead us to in this Gospel of Luke. In chapter 6, we saw that Jesus spoke about God's values of compassion and mercy, different to the values of the world. And Jesus noted that if people took on God's values, they'd be taking on the character of God, and as he says, you, you'll be known as sons of the Most High or children of the Most High. And so the first encouragement we see here in this passage today that we're looking at, to be taking on God's character, being children of the Most High, having our faith into action, involves having a generous spirit. If you're following along in the outline, that's the first point there, a generous spirit. That's what our faith in action will look like. Verse 37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that uh, last line there could also be translated by, by some as the ration that you give to others is the ration that you'll get back for yourself. I, I think about that when the, when the bacon's being handed out at, at, at my place. Whatever ration uh, we apply to others, well that's the, the measure we'll get back in return. In these words, it seems to be Jesus is saying, God knows us. He knows uh, what we're like. He knows whether we're judgmental in the way that we live. But one of the challenges for us as Christians is to remember that uh, we can leave the judging up to God. I mean, that's not all that there is to be said at this. It seems to be that when it comes to, you know, people say, you know, is so-and-so a Christian or is so-and-so in heaven? Uh, we don't know. We, we leave that up to God. We, we ultimately trust in him to know how to run the universe. There is some judging to be done, it, it is true. Uh, Jesus says, don't give to dogs what is sacred, don't throw your pearls before swines. I mean, how are we going to know who are the swine and who are the dogs uh, unless we make judgment? So there's something to be said about using some discernment. But when it comes to you know, making pronouncements about you know, who's in and who's out, we leave the judging up to God. God knows all things. He knows if we're forgiving and giving. 
and he's reminding us that there is a certain way that we're called to live as his people, and that's to be the, the forgiving people, the giving people. The way that we handle things like judgment, condemnation, forgiving and giving will be turned back to us too. But God is generous to us, and I think that's what we start to pick up from this little next section that talks about a marketplace, a scene from the marketplace where there's a commodity that's dished out, and it's, it's a, it might be something like barley or wheat. I don't know if they had any coffee uh, around in Jesus' place at the time. I don't think there was coffee there. But uh, we're told, given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. But when are all these good things going to be poured into our lap? Can we expect uh, a profound amount of blessing in this lifetime? Some prosperity gospel uses this message to say, you know, if you, if you give, you'll get a really good return on investment. You'll get a hundredfold back. Uh, I don't think that's the motivation, friends. I think we're called to serve and be like God because God wants us to be like God, not because we're going to get a big return on investment. Now, this idea, I think, has got more to do with the future. In the passage here, we say you will not be judged, you will not be condemned, you will be forgiven, it will be given to you, it will be poured into your lap. It seems to me that there's a future orientation that Jesus has in mind here. He said earlier in chapter 6, Great is your reward in heaven. Verse 6, verse 35. Then your reward will be great. Now, there's something to be said for a way of life that's generous. If we show generosity to others, typically it's a bit easier for people to show generosity to us, isn't it? It's just, it's just the way that life works. If I'm a punk towards you, well, it's pretty hard for you to be nice to me. If I'm kind and generous to you, it makes it a bit easier. And there can be a little bit of that in this age. But I think still Jesus has got his mind on the blessing ultimately to come in the kingdom of God when it comes in its fullness. This age is going to be characterised by all manner of complexities and difficulties, but the blessing that we're really looking forward to is in God's kingdom to come. That's when our reward will be great. And yet today is still the day to live out these values of God's kingdom where we're called to be characterised by forgiveness, and giving, less so than being judgmental and condemning. And just to illustrate this generous spirit, I was thinking about this as we, as we go through uh, the drive-through and get fries. I don't know if you've ever been through the drive-through and you've got fries and you've opened the packet and you're halfway down the highway and you see that the fry packet's half empty. And you think, gee, oh, gee they're a bit stingy. It's too hard to go back and turn around now. And, well, we're called not to be stingy, we're to have a generous spirit in life, a bit like this uh, overflowing language and uh, it's, it's much nicer, isn't it, when you open the bag of fries, they're hot and there's a big full packet and some kid on the, on the drive-thru has been very generous. That's the kind of generous spirit we're to have in life. There we go, I'll take you away from McDonald's now. Now, our faith in action, this is point two in the sermon, our faith in action is also going to involve being careful in who we follow. There's actually a little bit of humour in the Bible. Did you know that? If, you, if you're there to see it, uh, this might be a little bit of humour. In verse 39, he told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Some commentators point out that this is actually 
meant to be a little bit of a, a joke, a bit of a game. I mean, how often do you see the blind leading the blind? Now, that's right, it just doesn't happen, doesn't it? So, this is what you're saying, you know. I mean, we use it in popular language now, you know, it's the blind leading a blind when... Okay, um, so Jesus is challenging us to think about who are we going to follow for, for insight? Who are we going to follow for, for wisdom? I don't know if you remember back in the 1980s that there was a group around called the Orange People. Yeah. Uh, I think... I'm not going to say too much about them. I'd have to dredge it up in my memory. But they seem to be a bit crazy and they seem to take a whole lot of people's money at some point. And a whole lot of people followed the orange people and joined communes and things and lost things. Well, Jesus is saying, you know, we've got to be wise and who are we going to follow? Well, the blind don't really lead the blind, of course not. This is an image that's used to amplify the situation where bad teachers, they're the blind, they're the bad ones, and they're leading people who don't know any better. And the Pharisees are a case in point. They are obsessed with adding their traditions to the law of God and sometimes using their traditions as a way to dodge obeying God's law. The school of the Pharisees was more concerned about obeying the letter of the law, whether they were facing to the temple when they were giving an oath or away from the temple. They were obsessed with nitpicking and the letter of the law at times, or not even the law, just their traditions, as opposed to the spirit of the law. And so Jesus is saying, we've got to be careful who we follow. And furthermore, the Pharisees didn't even understand who, who Jesus was and why he came either. They were, they were critical of Jesus. Who is this that can forgive sins when he forgives the paralytic? Well, Jesus doesn't want his followers to go down that path to end up like the Pharisees. That's what he seems to pick up in verse 40. The student is not above the teacher. But everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. If you start going down the Pharisee world, you end up... I did, we did this a little bit when I was a teenager. One of my friends, we'd start to read the study Bible instead of what the Bible actually used to say. We used to, used to go to the footnotes and try to work it out. Instead of spending time thinking about God's word, we started to be a bit pharisaical and just wanted to know the answers. It was kind of a, a funny thing. But Jesus doesn't want us to go down that path. He doesn't want us to be uh, obsessed with the letter of the law and not the spirit of it, that type of thing. The question is, um, are we going to be fully trained to be like our teacher? There's a sort of a sense of suspense that's almost added into this remark. Uh, everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. What are the disciples going to be like? Are they going to stand the test of time and keep following Jesus? Are they going to become more like their teacher. But more than that, what are we going to be like? Are we going to be amongst those who keep walking with the Lord and make it to the end of the race? And as we get older, as we get to raise age, we uh, hopefully grow more and more godly and become more like our teacher. And if we do, um, hopefully we'll become those who are a bit more less judgmental, less condemning, more forgiving, more giving. We'll be among those who at least work at loving our enemies, however complicated that would be, being generous even to those who can't pay us back, being like our Heavenly Father who's uh, kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And imagine if, if this church, if everybody here, 
Imagine if I'm committed to growing to be uh, more like our teacher Jesus. If everybody here is committed to growing to be more godly and like Jesus, I already think, by the way, this is a really good church, but I think it, we could continue to be a good light in this community, a continue to be a, a very rich and loving church where people, when they come here, they think, yeah, they're, they're actually pretty genuine, kind people. And, and they do show the, the right Christian spirit. This is the challenge anyway, isn't it? In the next section, point three, I've got a typo. Uh, the kids reminded me of this last night as we printed off the bulletins. Remove to plank from our eye first. No, not quite. Uh, that's remove the plank from our eye first. So you can cross out two. There's no planking moves or anything. It's a uh, remove the plank. In verse 41 and 42, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, what a memorable little bit of teaching we've got here, isn't it? This is um, as relevant today as any message could be. Isn't it easy to see the fault in other people? Doesn't that, doesn't that stand out like a sore thumb, seeing the faults in others? And isn't it hard for us to face up to our own faults? Even to, to talk about our own faults is, is threatening. Is Jesus saying that the speck in our brother's eye doesn't matter? Just, just let them blunder on? No, of course not. In verse 42 he notes, there is a, a time to help remove the speck and I must say I've had plenty of specks removed from my eyes over the years but the time to uh, help the next person and remove the speck it comes after the effort to sort ourselves out first doesn't it the language that Jesus uses here it's almost cartoon like isn't it it's got a name it's called Jewish Semitic hyperbole and a hyperbole is a big exaggeration of course nobody's walking around with a plank in their eye unless you're looking at those work safe, you know, accidents and <laughs> learning how not to. So he's talking, using this extreme language to make a, a point. And he's saying the primary focus of our efforts is to look at the glaring failings in our own life and to make some changes. If we're going to give each other a tune-up and take some specks out of the eyes... We've got to do business back here first. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, as a younger man, back in the days when I had more hair, those were the days, the glory days, uh, I was at a youth group tournament um, playing volleyball. And uh, at the time, uh, back then I was a bit competitive actually, and uh, I was getting a bit critical of some of my teammates ability to demolish the opposition with me. Now, I know you're probably sitting there thinking, no, that can't be right, Peter. Not, no, not you, Peter. <laughs> no. Well, it's true. No, it's surprising. I was, I was getting a bit competitive in the volleyball and, uh, and I wanted my friends to lift their game a bit. Well, I guess that approach wasn't helping things because things started getting worse and the panic started to spread and the morale started to dive. And instead of calming the team down, 
and uh, encouraging it and setting a, a better tone where we can play better together. Uh, you know, people got a bit anxious and, uh, yeah, we played worse. But I had a friend. He was calm and he was good-natured. And he could see the, the bigger picture about maintaining the goodwill of the team. And he could see that I needed to remove the speck from my eye. I needed to stop getting critical of my volleyball teammates. Uh, and he gave me a tune-up. He, he let me know. Hey, he raised his voice a little bit too. He said, we've got to get off that. <laughs> and I got the picture, made some changes, and I learnt a lesson that day. It was a good lesson to learn. You know, I've got to work on my game. I've got to work on what I'm doing. And I've got to encourage my teammates, not get critical. That just spreads panic. And so it was, it was a good lesson to learn. He didn't let me off the hook to say there's no speck to be removed, but he was, he was good-natured in the way he did it. And so what we see here is the business end of the deal is to look at our own eyes, our own lives first uh, and make changes uh, in ourselves to the glory of God. That's, that's the key. And then if we can do that, we're in a better position, aren't we, to help each other and be gentle with each other. We have to be gentle with each other because uh, I've heard it said that everybody's an emotional two-year-old. We're all very sensitive when it comes to uh, giving each other the good news of how to do things better. As we continue to think about faith in action, what will be the signs of our faith in Jesus? What will be the signs we have a living faith in Jesus? What kind of fruit will we produce? We're in point four of the outline, if you want to keep following along there. The followers of the Lord Jesus are called to a new life and to a changed heart. In verses 43 to 45, Jesus challenges us to think about our character. What will it mean for us to put our faith into action? And he draws on an example from agriculture to make the point. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. We know what a tree is like from its fruit. You don't get grapes from bramble bushes. I think there's a, a noxious weed that hangs around the sand dunes called blackberry or something like that. Is that right, Bob? Yeah, blackberry. But you don't eat those blackberries, do you? They're, they're a weed. There's a, there's a blackberry I think you can eat from the supermarket, but they're not the same. Yeah, so we, we know that there's some trees that we, we eat the fruit of and there's, there's other ones we don't. But people can be like that too, can't they? People are known by their fruit. What we say and what we do. And Jesus... Uh, is challenging us to, to think about that. What kind of fruit will we bear? What's going to show our heart? And he continues this line by shifting the analogy a little and starts speaking about bringing out things stored away. Verse 45, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Show me the person who has tamed the tongue and I'll show you a perfect person. As we read these verses, we, we get the challenge that 
living a genuine life as the people of Jesus is going to involve working on our characters, working on our hearts. If we're going to be known as children of the Most High, we've got to continue to... That's the challenge, to take on God's character and what he's like. Good works is a normal part of the Christian life. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We don't do good works in order to get into heaven, as if we're trying to uh, merit our way into life with God, but good works will accompany our salvation. We, we won't be saved without good works. If we've got a living faith in Christ, it'll be accompanied by good works and we won't be saved without them. They'll be there. They'll be present. As the people of the Lord, we've been called to a new life, serving the Lord from the heart. And the challenge is to bring the good things uh, out of our hearts. Good things like honourable living, showing proper respect to all kinds of people. Sometimes it's easy to be judgmental about people, but we've got to keep on thinking about what it means to show proper respect to all kinds of people. Living lives worthy of the Lord, that's what Christians are called to. As we, I mean, Julia prayed earlier in in the prayer time about being in our workplaces or schools. We take the name of the Lord before the world and living lives worthy of the Lord is, is a challenge there living steadfast, spirit-filled lives where we're improving at self-control. This is not easy stuff to be uh, maintaining self-control all the time, but this is the good life that we've been called to. This is the the good that comes out of our hearts. So how do you and I go at that? Do we always bring out that treasure, the good things stored in our hearts? Well, no, not always actually. It'd be nice if we did more consistently. Uh, you know, if you know me, you know it's true. I don't always um, bring the good that's stored in my heart out, but the evil that's in my heart, that's, that's just reality, isn't it? We don't always bring out the good. Sometimes we do bring out the, the evil. The good news is for us that Christ is kind. He's taken into, our, into account uh, our shortcomings, our sins. And it's good that this overall message in Luke's gospel um, gets to what Jesus does for that. God knows our situation and he's provided Jesus who had a perfect heart and became a perfect sacrifice for us to bring us uh, salvation. And we're united to Jesus, perfect Jesus. We're united to him through faith. And on account of his work, we enjoy forgiveness for the evil that is in our heart. And so there's assurance for us as we think about our shortcomings as well. Yet the challenge remains for God's people to serve the Lord genuinely from the heart. That's, that's the challenge we have. Honourable living, showing proper respect, lives worthy of the Lord, bring, not taking the Lord's name in vain and bringing God's name into disrepute. Steadfast, spirit-filled lives where we keep working at things like self-control. Those are going to be some of the signs of an active faith that we have in Jesus. Now Jesus has just noted that from the overflow of a person's heart, the mouth speaks, and now he's going to um, challenge the, the readers and the followers and people like us to put our faith into action, thinking about obeying Jesus, not just having lip service to Jesus. In verse 46 he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
Well, what's the problem here? The problem is they're saying, oh, yes, we'll, we'll treat you as Lord. We'll be very serious and, and show you're like our, our patron and we'll have allegiance to you. And we'll say, Lord, Lord. But then they, if they don't do what he says, these are empty uh, commitments, aren't they? Words that don't match actions are empty words. And so Jesus calls us to an obedient life that comes from faith in him and to live our lives putting his words into practice. In verse 47 we read, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house could not shake it because it was well built. Well, so far, so good. Building our lives on Jesus' words, actually carrying out what Jesus says, is like building a house on good foundations. Now, I do a little bit of building work, and from time to time we have to auger out a hole into, into the ground, and we don't always get down to rock, but we get down to solid clay. But if we don't take out those little tailings from the auger, and we've got this rubbish sitting in there, um, that... Those pillars are going to sink at some point and the house is going to crack. And uh, it's not much of a sh fun job actually getting down into those piers to get the tailings out, but it's a more fun thing than having watch a slab crack. Jesus compares our lives to a building and saying, we want lives which are going to be doing, doing well, living God's way, practising being godly, then... Uh, we need to build our lives on his words and when the time of testing comes, it's actually when the, when the potamus comes. Did you know that? You've heard of a hippopotamus? When the potamus comes, because the Greek word for river is potamus. Uh, yeah, the hippopotamus sits on the river, but the potamus is the river and uh, when the potamus comes, the flood or the, the, the torrent or the river... The house that's on Jesus' words, it's standing firm. But the one that's not on Jesus' words, it's looking disastrous. Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck, the hippopotamus, that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And that's a picture of the life that's uh, not built on Jesus' word. That's like, we, we call that negative modelling. This is how not to do it. But what is this um, torrent, this river that's striking the house? What's Jesus talking about when he's speaking about this torrent that's coming? Perhaps he has in mind the stresses and strains of this life. Now, I was thinking about this. I've been part of this church since 1998. And since that time that I've been there... I've seen various lives here, including my own, experience times of strain. Sometimes we walk through very difficult times and thankfully life also settles down a bit too. But I'm wondering whether Jesus has in mind things like job security, health scares, problems with strained connections. They can be sort of rivers and floods of sorts in their lives, can't they? Grief over people that we've cared for, financial stress and uncertainty. Those things can be like torrents that come 
And each of us, in our own way, in our own deep way, knows the strains and the stresses and the hardship that others, others can't enter that world. You can have these times of, of difficulty and you can't explain it to people. You, you can only know what you're going through. Well, in those times, we're challenged to have our firm convictions about the goodness of God. And we're, we're to be convinced that even, even in spite of difficulties in this fallen world, that God is in control, he's still bringing us into his kingdom, he still provides us enough to survive. It's, it's that kind of life that's it's convinced about what Jesus is saying. That's the life that's, even in the face of those difficulties, we can, we can bat on because our lives built on the words of Jesus. Amen. Well, the floods and the torrents uh, won't necessarily be less severe for Christians uh, than they are for the next person. But Jesus does orient us uh, to hope. We do, we do sort of tolerate this fallen world with the hope. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. And he reminds us in 635 that our reward will be great. And so there is a time of blessing without the time of hardship that we are, we are conscious of. Um, and in this, in this age now, we, uh, we trust Jesus and we build our lives on his words. It could be that Jesus is referring to this um, big torrent too as the judgment day. That's not, out of, that's not necessarily out of the picture, uh, that when the judgment days come, those who've built their lives on his words, they will stand. Uh, and if they, if they haven't, they don't have a saviour. There is no assurance of hope. But either way... In the strains of this world and in this life, we're called to build our lives on Jesus' words and we, we trust him, obviously, with the future too. That's it. <laughs> Christians, far from being away with the fairies, are called to very grounded lives that express God's values in a multitude of ways. Adopting a generous spirit, being known as those who are giving and forgiving. Being careful who we follow, uh, following and seeking to be more like our teacher, the Lord Jesus, not the Pharisees. Working on our own faults before we see clearly to help the next person. Carrying out the good works that God's called us to. The normal Christian life involves doing good, not in order to get into heaven and get right with God, but because we are going to have that accompany our salvation. It'll be part of who we are and building our lives on the, the, the words of Jesus, ready when these difficult, awful, complicated times of testings come, we're grounded as we trust in Jesus and how he calls us to live. Since we've come to Jesus, he calls us to an active faith. This is very practical stuff, and it results in different lives, different to the world, lives lived for the glory of God. May God help us this week to think about some of these things and have the drive to put into action how Jesus calls us to live. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this word from Jesus, some of these wonderful images that remind us to be people who are generous in spirit. Lord, help us to be not foolish but wise in whom we follow. Help us to grow to be more like Jesus as our, as our main goal in life. Lord God, please forgive us for the times when we fail and uh, please help us to be mindful of areas that we can do better in. Lord, we do thank you for your forgiveness and we just pray that you'd help us to work at being consistent and in our godliness. 
We pray for your help to do that and we give you thanks that we can encourage each other. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be mindful of good that we can do in this world before we enter your kingdom. And we pray that you'd help us to build our lives on the words of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.